everyone and welcome to our second episode of SiennaCast. This episode will be focusing on diversity. Just as increasing gender conversations have shifted the dial for representation and expectations of women, so too can a conversation on diversity help Australians accept differences that are unfamiliar. At Siena, we value the differences in each individual as we recognise that diversity enriches our community. And as Dominicans, we support one another to speak our individual truths. You'll notice that this episode has no reference to our current global atmosphere, as this was recorded at a time where the idea of a global pandemic hadn't become a reality. However, we are currently working towards recording remote episodes so we can stay connected as a Siena community. We hope you enjoy this episode of SiennaCast. 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 Welcome to our second ever Siena podcast. Today we will be exploring the theme of diversity um, and we'll just begin with an interview with... Mr Thomas and Mr Coronado, so we welcome you both. Hello, Uh, it's good to be here. (laughs) Uh, So just to start us off, um, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences growing up? Uh, Where were you living? What was the cultural climate of the time and what was life like for you both? Um, Okay, I'll start. Um, I was eight years old when my family migrated here from the Philippines. Um, From the Northern Hemisphere, I just finished grade two. Coming to here, I started grade two. And from grade two onwards, I was educated in Australia. Um, I had no idea where Australia was. Didn't know anything about (laughs) Australia. All I knew was I got on the plane, came here, and we were here. Mm -hmm. Primary school was a bit... um, I don't have much memories of primary school. I went to four different primary schools from year two to year six because um, of how... We were migrants, six months in a hostel, then a flat and then a house renting and then buying a house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to a very multicultural, even at that time, this was in the um, 80s high school, um, out in the southeastern suburbs, uh, Dufton High School, uh, state school, and very mixed, very mixed um, ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I saw it. I didn't see Australia as being predominantly white or something, so my childhood experiences and through to uni was always a um, mixed type of uh, ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the other part of this? Is cult- <laughs> how growing up was... Um, where were you living? Oh, oh the yeah. cultural climate. Oh, okay, something, something interesting. Um, uh, so when we came here, there was a migrant hostel in Nana Wadding. Mm-hmm. So I went to St John's in Mitcham, which I'd forgotten completely about until I went to my first Siena Year 9 social. Oh. And it was my <laughs> yeah. old primary school. Going from St John's Mitcham to St Scholastica in Burwood mm-hmm. and then St uh, Mary Magdalene um, in Chadston um, right. before going to a state school in, um, in grade six. So growing up I was, I was always in, uh, within different types of ethnic groups. So mm-hmm. it was very diverse as growing up. Um, yeah. And obviously with my Filipino background, I was a lot of uh, Filipino families um, mm-hmm. that I grew up with as well. Mm-hmm. So that was my childhood and growing yeah. up experiences. Yep. Mr. Thomas? Yeah, I suppose mine was almost completely the opposite um, because I grew up in um, South Africa, mm-hmm. in Johannesburg, in Kempton Park, um, under apartheid where oh. everyone was separated. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in it was a big city called Kempton Park near Johannesburg, near Copenhagen, oh, yep. where the school girls yeah. go and visit Copenhagen. So it's, it's on the East Rand. Um, it's an area of, when I was there, 22 million people, which at wow. that time was the same population as Australia. Yeah. So a lot of people, 
Um, but society was divided on race. Anyone living in a certain area, according to your race. Um, I had a, probably a typical childhood. You know, in primary school, I used to walk to, to school, the local primary school. Um, high school, just catch a bus to high school. Um, but I, I loved playing a lot of sport, cricket, hockey. Um, but it was a very British, very European society. You know, but like similar to Australia, I suppose, as well. Um, but in public, it was very different because everything was separated. So separate amenities for toilets, for, for even yeah. for bridges. You had yeah. to cross the road. There was a bridge. They built two bridges mm -hmm. for the two different sides of the society. Mm -hmm. And if you were white, you had to be on one side and black, you'd be on the other side. And everything was just like that. So it was very obvious that it was a divided society when yeah. I grew up. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And as a child, were you able to identify that? I think sometimes you were, you know, when you're out in public mm -hmm. and you went to a toilet, you realised just all the white people yeah. were going to the white toilet yeah. and then the black people were going to the black toilet. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but when you went to school, it was all just, everyone was the same, yeah. everyone was white. Yeah. 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 So you didn't really notice it at school. So in schools, you weren't separated? Um, there were schools for black children, schools oh, for white right. children, okay. schools for... Yeah. So I went to an all-white school. Yeah, okay. In an all-white suburb. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not diversity related, but in mm. terms of that um, upbringing in outside of Australia, mm. one of the reasons we came to Australia was um, during the Marcos era dictatorship in the Philippines, I have memories of, of living under martial law. So that meant as a kid being um, at a certain time, dusk usually, you had to be inside, indoors. Um, and so my dad was able to um, apply for... Uh, migrant uh, to, to both America and Australia and as I said I didn't know what Australia was but mm. both of those actually um, came through for him it's just that the Australian government came through first and we ended yeah. up in Australia we could have easily ended up in America um, oh, right. but those experiences as a as a as a eight-year-old six seven eight-year-old trying to play outside and then going back inside yeah. Yeah. Um, under martial law um, meant yeah we need another opportunity elsewhere mm -hmm. here. So, mm -hmm. and just going a little bit back in the primary school days here. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, we, me personally, integrated as much as we could. I, I grew up yeah. playing Aussie rules, playing yeah. sports, yeah. Um, and doing all that stuff. In fact, it came. There might have been a point in time in my high school days where I almost rejected my um, ethnic background really? to the point that I I stopped speaking Tagalog, mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until. Later on in my 20s and going and starting the work and, and even meeting my, my wife, mm. that the, the, the ability to speak another language came back. Yeah. Um, but there was a period of time there where I guess I went too far the other way trying to integrate to the point of, of um, rejecting your background. Your culture. Yeah. yeah. And then later, and, as you grow up and get older... You realise that's, that's a bit how stupid, yeah. <laughs> and how important yeah. it was, and yeah. uh, and now you start to appreciate the diversity of, of um, cultures mm. and and um, celebrating your your background and um, and and the contributions you can make um, with your with your previous um, yeah. cultures. Yeah. 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 So how do you think this experience of growing up has contributed to the kind of person you are today? And, yeah, how did these experiences shape you as a person? I'll go first, I think, <laughs> this time. <laughs> um, the part of South Africa really drew a lot of attention to race mm. you know, what race you're part of. And um, I was in the privileged position to be the white. Yep. So I have a certain amount of, I think, guilt almost. 
Mm. You know, sometimes I feel guilty about it. Yeah. Where, and again, I feel bad because I shouldn't be. You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, but um, yeah. So I, mm, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have a, a memory, um, probably my third or fourth year teaching. I might have just started teaching. Mm. And this is a time when um, Pauline Hanson actually just rose to power. Yeah. And, um, and, and as an f- Asian-Australian um, who had just finished their university and is now contributing to an educational setting, mm. and I have this memory of actually sitting in my car, and I'm starting to think about it now, <laughs> where um, how, how this person can actually say um, what she said. Yeah. And for me to think, I'm doing my best here to, to help future Australian generations and at the same time I'm hearing someone else say that um, keep them out um, yeah. um, what you know, they shouldn't be here um, go back to your own country type of thing um, and I at that stage would have uh, been uh, more Australian than I was Filipino like yeah. I said going back to what I yeah. said in, in my high school days I'd actually I went, stopped speaking Tagalog and um, and forgot about that culture to um, to an extent and it wasn't until my early 20s and, and mid-20s now having taught for a long time um, I, the the value of seeing um, kids uh, learning and mm. uh, contributing to society mm. which is ultimately what um, I think is the the goal here yeah. to have it, for us to find our own way of contributing to society and that can be done in, in many different ways so mm-hmm. uh, just it, it does bring back those memories sometimes when you're thinking about um, the the, the kind of discussion, political discussion you you have about um, integrating um, um, and and go back to your own country or closing the borders, those kinds yeah. of things. So yeah. um, getting through that and then now being really comfortable with who I am and how I personally contribute to society mm-hmm. uh, has, has you know, I, I think I feel like I'm, I'm in a good spot, good yeah. position now. Yeah. But yeah, tough times earlier on. Um, um, regarding that, and then you, you you do you work through it, mm-hmm. and it becomes it makes who you are now, and then you try to just do your best. Yeah, is what you try to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mr. Tom- Thomas, going back to what you said before about um, that sense of guilt, is there a specific time you remember feeling that sense of guilt? Um, they are. I can give, tell lots of stories about yeah. it. You know, things that I've seen and done. Yeah. Um, yeah. One day I was. I was Refereeing a soccer game, mm-hmm. and um, this little black boy was playing, yep. and I was saying, "Oh, I forgot to put my sunburn, my, my skin on my. Th- I'm going to mm-hmm. burn in the sun." I said, "I wish I had a skin like yours, because oh. you know, he was black. Yeah, he didn't he was, burn in the yeah. sun." Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, "No, you don't want my colour of skin." Oh. And I just felt, you know, I felt guilty about making yeah. the comment yeah. and being aware of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and, and the, he saw past just he, he saw all the ramifications of the colour of his skin. Mm-hmm. Not just the sun, no. protection from the sun, yeah. and so that's just one example, you know. And um, growing up as a boy, you know, you you, you suddenly aware that, that you have certain privileges that adults don't have. Really, as a child. Yeah, as a yeah. child. Oh, you so, mean, so yeah, uh, yeah, we could yeah. go where we wanted to go and do mm-hmm. what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, there were other people in the country who couldn't go to the same places you could go to. Yeah. So there were yeah. special beaches just for well, for whites, yeah. you know, and the black people couldn't go to those beaches, and mm-hmm. and so yeah, and then. But, but what is good about this discussion too is that South Africa came out of apartheid. Yeah. I think that, yes, that's also quite important to focus on. Mm-hmm. And that I think it's one of the most progressive societies today mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. 
where everyone has access to everything, yeah. you know, and it, the constitution has locked those into law. Mm. So, uh, 23 years before Australia even made um, a mixed uh, gay marriage is legal, mm. South Africa has had, had laws in place 23 years ago. Oh, really? So, yeah. um, it's a very progressive yeah. society, um, very multicultural society. Yeah. Mm. And so I think, yes, it's more important to look forward, yeah. although looking back is important yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. I, I think it's important what um, Mr Thomas just said about not understanding what the other person was thinking yeah. or putting the, yourself in the other in person's shoes. Mm. Yeah. Um, because I, I'll tell you a story in terms of um, what brown-skinned people might yeah. feel. And I don't feel it as much now, but I certainly feel, felt that 25, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So this is sometimes what a, what a brown-skinned person would think when they walk into a a pub for the first time 20 years ago, first things that we would do then, that I did back then, was count how many brown kin people are in really? the room. I was conscious, especially going into a country pub, yep. I might, my, me or my, my friends might have been the only Asians about to walk in there and yep. those people, we might to them, we might have been the first Asians they've seen for a while. Mm. So you do it, and I, I thought it was just me until about a month ago across a shared Facebook article <laughs> other brown-skinned people, not just Asians, but other non-white. Mm. And there was a common trait that I thought I was the only one that yeah, that, that had. Yeah. And I um, so now I don't do it because mm-hmm. literally now if I go to Chatty or in the city <laughs> yeah. or Lakes Entrance, yeah. there are so many different types of races yeah. that it's no longer a question. No. But certainly growing up, you kind of, as soon as I, I tell you, I, I kid you not, <laughs> I, I remember going into an Apollo Bay bistro I went there, I loved, we, we grew up camping and fishing mm-hmm. and going in there for a lunch and the first thing I did was look around and just count really? <laughs> how, many, yeah. how many whites are sitting here, how many yeah, um, Asians are here and I'm just, you're just constantly there. So from a, a white perspective, that's something that probably uh, someone who's white would never have thought of. Yeah. Whereas, no. whereas and, I, and, and for, a, for an Asian growing up like that, that is... And that's probably one of the reasons I probably did a lot of um, the sports stuff early on because I wanted to make sure I was integrated with yeah. the white kids as yeah. well as... Um, yeah. and, and to some extent, I'm not going to... Um, I didn't... Re- I love doing that. Actually, I love playing mm-hmm. footy and, and, um, and hanging out with the kids, but I didn't think of it as a, a white and non-white thing. Yeah. Um, but we certainly have come a long way here uh, in the last 30 years and even in the last five years where... Um, yeah, you, you, you go to Canberra, you go to Geelong, you go to in, and you go outside and there's lots of Indians yeah. walking around, lots of Asians, lots yeah. of white. It's just, it's just a mix yeah, now. So it, it, it has yeah. become a very diverse yeah. culture now. Yeah, it has. Um, so what do you both understand the word diversity to mean? Why do you think diversity is important? And do you think Australia reflects diversity? Yes, I think Mr. Coronado just said that, you know, yeah, that yeah. it's very diverse. Yeah, it kind of links to what So for me, you know, I think it is that, you know, we, the world has moved on 20, 30 years it was in the past. Mm. Um, parents can be born in one country, studied in another country and moved to a third country. Yeah. So, and there's the diversity in society. Another story I could tell you is um, I've got a friend, his name is Muhammad Jappi. Mm-hmm. And um, he's also from South Africa, but we would never have been friends in South Africa. But we're really yeah. good, close friends here. Yeah. So he, his heritage is um, he's Malaysian mm-hmm. and uh, his family came down the coast of South Africa in the 20s and 30s mm-hmm. and they moved to Cape Town and he's Cape Malayan, he's Muslim. Right. And so in South Africa, we would never, ever have been friends, never had the opportunity. Mm. But coming to Australia now, we 
closer, we're tighter as we spend a lot of time together. <laughs> and we've both changed schools. We've been yeah. friends for 16 years now. Well. And we still catch up in holidays. Mm-hmm. We still hang out with families. Yeah. And so I think that's just you know, it's a little symbol of, of how the world has changed. Mm-hmm. They're one of my closest, closest friends. You know, would never have been a friend yeah. 20, 30 years ago, but now yeah. we are today. And mm-hmm. Just even, uh, you're in year 12 now. If you remember in year 7, mm-hmm. think back to the teachers. I certainly know this because... Mm-hmm from a non-white perspective, right? Yep. Think back of the types of teachers you had in Year 7. Yeah. Now look at the type of teachers you have here this yeah. year. Yeah. And I noticed this in the last couple of years. Yeah. And even to the point where, and I've been here 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, when I've, uh, I remember even, when we're talking about diversity at the moment in terms of race, but diversity in terms of sexes, male yeah. and female, um, yeah. different backgrounds, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember back in the day where when... The, the blokes sat on the table, it was such a big deal because mm. there wasn't many of us. Yeah. And then uh, that changed in terms of gender balance within mm-hmm. here. So it's diversity. If you imagine they just had all the one sex yeah, teachers. teachers yeah. And, then in, and in terms of um, race, when I came here, Mr. Tao was the only other Asian person. <laughs> and yeah. now, okay. And then if you look at the, not just the Asian background, we've got yeah. the Sri Lankan Indian teachers yeah. now as well. Yeah. So that's, that's, and then we've got the South Africans that came in yeah. about four yeah. or five, six years ago as well. Mm-hmm. So I think from your perspective, mm-hmm. you seeing and us as a staff uh, reflecting the diversity, because when you go to that, the big bad world mm-hmm. out there, you're going to be with all the kinds of different types of um, yeah. um, backgrounds. So, um, so I think, yeah, we've, mm-hmm. we've moved, we've changed. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think it's yeah, CNN it reflects yeah. in the world, you know, yeah, in Melbourne and on the cities too. Well. Mm. All right, so it's been said that diversity may be the hardest thing for a society to live with and perhaps the most dangerous thing for a society to be without. So based on your experiences, how would you respond to this statement? It is a challenge. <laughs> I think it is a challenge. Um, you can't, shouldn't ignore it. I mean, one of the, one, one of the things that you, you, you want is, I mean, if, if we go back to even just we were talking about the staff, if you have the, the if you have the diversity in terms of thought, in terms of idea, in mm-hmm. terms of the people you deal with, then I think you're going to be more exposed to the different ideas that are out there, and mm-hmm. then more, be more empathetic as to how people feel and think about um, certain situations. If you're just completely insular and just have the same type of people mm-hmm. around you all the time, sheltered, and yeah. it's here to be yeah. sheltered yeah. In, in a way, then. Um, yeah, so it can only be good in terms of being uh, experienced. And that's why people travel, mm, yeah, you know, yeah. to experience the different cultures, different mm-hmm. ways of life and understanding the, the different attitudes. Mm. And it can be very dangerous if you just try to control that and just have the one type of mm. person. It doesn't have to be race background. It, it could race-based. It could be you're all thinking a particular way. And if you're all just thinking a particular way, well, how are you going to grow and improve? Yeah. Yeah. No one's there to... to to maybe contradict what you're saying, mm. to bounce off a new idea. You know, how is that other person thinking about that? Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's, that's where the challenge is to have that. But I think that's where the, it's, it's really good if we can have mm-hmm. that diversity. Mm. Yeah, I think um, diversity is really good. Um, and again, I come back to South Africa. There was a time in the history of the country where it could have gone to civil war and um, it didn't. And you know, I look around the world, you know, some places in the world where there's lots of conflict with religions and between societies in Syria and Iran. And um, 
people can come together and they can make peace and they can live with diversity. So I think diversity is great for society. You know, so many different experiences, different views, different values. But that everyone just is given the opportunity to believe what they believe in mm. and that, that you need to give those people and respect them in their beliefs mm. and give them space to believe in that. Yep. So, yeah, we, we, we haven't even touched on religion. That was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah, so diversity of religion. Mm. Jeez, yeah. you know, you just, if, you, if, mm. if you're able to just understand... Yeah. And appreciate and respect the other. Yeah. Not just talking about culture, I mean, no. other race, but yeah. religion. Yeah. 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 There's so many different aspects to diversity, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm also quite positive for the world. You know, I think that there's less wars in the world. I think people are moving between countries. Mm. And it's just, you know, it's a great time to be alive and be mm. around in the world. <laughs> and you, you can be whatever you want to be and yeah. do whatever you want to do. So I'm really positive mm. for diversity in the world. And yeah. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we still we keep working on it, don't we? Yeah, uh, yeah, we keep yeah, working yeah. On, on, on acceptance and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Mr. Coronado and Mr. Thomas, for joining us today. Um, it's been wonderful hearing both of your stories and um, you sharing your opinions on diversity. So thank you very much. Mm, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm Tash and I'm Maddie and we're going to be discussing diversity of thought in particular um, political diversity and how it's so important in being able to coexist to be able to understand each other and each other's political and beliefs. to accept people yeah as well. definitely yeah I guess I wanted to start by saying that we both have different political lenses so like Maddie what like how would you kind of describe your um, I would describe myself as probably centre left, but even though I'm not 18, so I had to vote tomorrow, I would vote for the Liberal government. Yeah, cool. Um, I also just wanted to quickly say that I know that a lot of the times when people hear politics, they will roll their eyes or see that there's not really any point in talking about the crazy politicians in Australia and Canberra. Um, and often, I or guess, in the world. yeah, people kind of think about Trump or, um, yeah, Xi Jinping, I guess, like, those type of leaders. But it's always good to kind of be able to form your ideas on a more domestic level and find ways that, I guess, like, your political beliefs can then um, coexist in domestic, in a domestic space. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to ask you, Maddie... I know, I mean, I didn't really say before, actually, um, I have more of like, I guess, a progressive idea and like the policies that I would go for if I were to vote, not 18 yet. But uh, I would say that I'm probably a lot more left than Maddie <laughs> and quite past the centre left um, area. But then again, like I'm always open to different possibilities. And of course, I'm not one to be close to one idea. But I also know that it's quite easy for me to live in this comfortable environment in Siena. I feel like there's a lot, a lot of the times there's support for me and my beliefs. And I um, find that it's really good that they nourish the things that I love. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's always space for everyone. But I guess it can be hard being in an environment, I guess, taking it away from Siena um, 
how do you feel um, being a more liberal voice in an often politically quiet or submissive environment? So I guess like not really wanting to be overt in what they believe. Um, what do well, you, like, how do you feel? I feel like there's two different environments that I've really like expressed my opinion. One would be in the year 11 politics class, which was a class pretty much set up to share your ideas and what you thought. And I think were there like nine girls in the class or something? And of those nine girls, it was me and then every other girl in the class was way, like, much more into, like, the green views and things like that. And um, we just, like, I felt that any idea that I expressed that was not in line with the ideas that they expressed was just immediately shut down. So my my ideas were not really heard. They was just, I was dismissed as, like, you're wrong, whatever. Um... But then in the other environment I would say I share with my opinions with would be like at lunchtime, you know, chatting with friends, you know, something about politics might come up. And I feel like the environment there, a lot of girls had no idea or no view on politics. And then there were girls who did, but then again I sat apart from them, which I think is the general trend of like the girls that I know at Siena. Um, so it, I didn't feel... Like, my ideas were not particularly taken up or um, anyone, like, agreed with them particularly. I don't know. Yeah, I think that that's the problem that I would like to address through, I guess, the awkward conversation. Yeah. Is um, that I feel as though it's really great to have every kind of idea and I think that it's better to have an idea. So even if it is more extreme, I guess, by terms it's better to have an idea than to kind of be submissive to the norm and I think that the problem with environment if you don't agree with it to listen to it and yeah. say yep that's a view yeah and I think that that's the problem with environments where everyone is kind of the same is that a lot of the times people feel as though they're kind of sheep or not, they don't feel it but that's the way that it kind of appears so I think that through I guess the classroom and how not just the classroom, but I guess in um, with friends and not feeling as though you can be um, your views and ideas can be accepted. I think the best thing for everyone, because I think that if I were to be put in a space where my views weren't exactly appreciated, I think it kind of that culture stems from a lot of ignorance. And I think that the most important thing, and I think that Maddie, I don't, I reckon you agree with me, that it is more important to have a view because it is so important to have diversity of ideas. And I think that if that means... And to just talk about it. Yeah. Like, as someone with different views, I would say to a lot of a lot of people that I've spoken to at Siena, I've learned and changed my opinion a lot based on what I've heard from other people. So I may, I've started out with a different opinion and, like, really moulded it to be more of what I'm hearing, more rounded, I guess. And I think that would be the same for other girls who would have thought one certain way and then through conversation, you know, might... Change, yeah. Change their opinion, yeah. Yeah. Or learn something. Yeah. Um, how do we... F- like, how do we feel, I guess, about people who don't really have an opinion, though? Like, what, what do you think? I feel like the default opinion to have these days is to... If someone asks you, what do you think about politics? Oh, you know, I love the Greens. Like, not in a bad way. 
but it's not... If someone was challenged on your their opinion of that, I don't think it would hold up. I think that you need to have an opinion. I, and I think that if people at Siena had their own opinion and were challenged on it, I think their opinion wouldn't necessarily be what they say it is. I think that that can also be generalised to the whole public as well, though. I think that it's really hard... I, I guess... Not everyone has the privilege of being in a politics class um, and always being around the news and having those ideas expressed. And I think a lot of people, obviously, they their ideas are formulated from their values and their family values. So I think that the, a really important thing is, as you, guess, progress through life, to rather than shun other people's ideas and rather than... I think Listen. it's from both sides. Um, rather than putting another idea down, I think the best thing to do is really just to... One, from an underlying perspective, just understand everyone has different beliefs. And then a way to move forward with that in practice is really talking talking to people and understanding if someone says something and you don't agree with them, I think the best thing you could do is just be like, but why? And I think that's mm. something we always hear. But it, that is how people aren't necessarily scared to express their opinion because it's rather than I think that a lot of the times people feel as though they can't say anything because they're too afraid of the consequences yeah so Maddie do you feel isolated at times for expressing your beliefs I have in uh, in a few instances felt a bit like oh my idea is not shared here or I can't express my ideas here because I'm gonna get shut down immediately and there's been a few examples of this over years of just probably my beliefs differ from the not prescribed views here, but like the common idea. I feel like I've expressed that already in this, but it's not that I feel isolated. I just, because I don't really let myself feel like that, but I mean, I don't share many views with a lot of people. That I've spoken to, at least. Do you think that because of the reception that people often have once you say a belief, people often, they may actually express similar views but don't want to say it because they know that they'll end up getting laughed at or maybe just questioned in a less than okay manner? Yeah. I See, I don't think my ideas are very extreme at all. I mean, I as I say, I'm centre-left. I'm not really... I'm not sitting out anywhere crazy. In fact, I'm, when we did the vote compass thing like two days ago, I sat almost closer to the Labor, Labor Party, pardon me, than to the Liberal Party. But my ideas, socially, I think I'm quite progressive in my views, but economically, I just sit more to the right, which is just not as I think... I think it was Miss Moody said this once, that if you're not a socialist in uni there's like something a bit weird there but if you're not a capitalist once you've grown up and you own your own house and everything you do is your own money then there's also like it's you know like the climate as students not it's not our own responsibility particularly on that so a lot of people tend more to like lefty views greeny views which I share a lot of them but then some of my views as well are just... I would say I express them in a way that's quite harsh because I just know that the reception of them is not going to be. 
to summarise, I think that the most important part of this conversation is just that it may be awkward, but it's better to have to express ideas with everyone. I feel a bit awkward. Yeah. <laughs> it's better to express ideas and understand where other people are coming from and having more of an empathetic lens when going about life. So I think that it is really important to have that diversity of ideas. Thousands of voices rose to hound an Indigenous man. A man who was told he wasn't Australian. A man who was told he wasn't Australian of the year. These words by Stan Grant perfectly encapsulate the emotions and the frustrations held by thousands of Aboriginal peoples in response to the blatant racism Adam Goods was faced with in the final months of his football career. To many, it was a painful reminder that we as a community continue to oppress our First Nations people in open displays of discrimination. On the 24th of May 2013, a member of the crowd hurled a racist slur at Goods, a slur derived from the ideologies held by white settlers who, by law, aim to exterminate all Aboriginal peoples. Adam Goods alerted officials to what he had heard and instead of empathy, our community turned on him. In hearing this girl was 13 years old, Goods was faced with an onslaught of abuse, berating him for calling out this racism across almost all forms of media. The backlash continued to follow Goods, worsening throughout the final months of his career to the pinnacle whereby the cheering crowd would switch to a low and aggressive boo whenever he touched the ball. The sounds of thousands of voices hounded him for simply playing the game which once brought him so much joy. Some argue that there are many other Indigenous players involved in the AFL who don't receive so much hate, implying that the backlash he received was not on account of his race. I believe that our society has been lulled into thinking we're accepting of all cultures when we really just accept those who exist quietly. The minority groups who are willing to fit into a box, making themselves smaller in order to be accepted by the rigid expectations set by our white society. Adam spoke out. He is a strong and proud Aboriginal man who refuses to apologise for his heritage, a strength that we should all be applauding. Looking to the future, society needs to move on from tolerating Aboriginal AFL players and members of our world to celebrating them. But of course, who is society? It begins with each and every one of us making active choices to renounce any form of discrimination that we encounter. While Goods' story of racism is frightening, it's far too common. Today, 97% of Aboriginal peoples reported experiencing racism in just the last 12 months. While overt acts of racism highlight the ignorance of our modern society, it's the casual undercurrents of racism which are the most widespread today. The subtle racism exhibited by everyday Australians, often deemed as harmless, leads to the continued dominance over these peoples. Often it's from the punchline or the so-called funny name where the really dangerous racist attitudes and behaviours are formed, much like how Goods' battle began from one name-calling attack. Australian larrikance is renowned for its joking nature, but racism is never funny and it's never okay. The nature of the racism present in our society adds to the pain of Aboriginal people every day, Yet what may be more frightening is the systematic racism still rooted in our legal system that endures to suppress all people of Indigenous descent. It remains that there is no constitutional recognition of Aboriginal land ownership in our law, meaning that terra nullius cannot be officially overturned. 
Many of the policies forming our legal system are the same laws that were written by white settlers in the aim of eliminating an entire race in order to achieve the so-called Australian dream of a white society. There needs to be acknowledgement of our First Nations people and that begins with us standing along Indigenous communities as we fight for constitutional recognition. As Australians, we have a moral responsibility to challenge the racism within our community. While it's part of the Australian vernacular to joke, can we really dismiss the seriousness of racism? Small jokes or teasing very quickly turn into widespread bullying and harm. I hope that one day we can unite to all build the courage and the conviction to call out racism when we see it, just like Adam Good so powerfully continues to do so. Each and every one of us has a voice. How will yours be heard? How will you challenge racism today? This is Kayla and Emily with, with Project, Project Loud. So Kayla, I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Inside Out, but the way they show how we each have our own core memories that shape our personality islands is such a creative way to look at our own unique makeup as humans. No, I agree. I've seen that movie. It's literally the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want you guys all to turn your hand around and look at your palm. That there is unique to you. No one in this whole world has that is the same as you. Every little moment, conversation, experience you've had has shaped who you are. Yeah, and so all the differences between us is our diversity. But it extends from more than just physical qualities. To us, it should also be about embracing our own thoughts, views and independent thinking and critical thinking as well. Yeah, but Emily, I just want to pose this question to you. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) What would our society be if we were all the exact same? Like there are people out there that pick on individuals for their differences. But what would our society be if those people got what they wanted and we were all the same? Ooh. Well, there would be no new cuisines, no new music, no new artwork, infrastructure, medical advancements. I reckon the list goes on. Difference of mind is a strength which allows us to progress really as a society. Yeah, like what would our world be if there were no Scott Hastings? <laughs> Who's Scott Hastings? Are you serious? <laughs> Scott Hastings is a character from Strictly Ballroom and he challenged the traditional ballroom by creating his own steps. Right, yeah, I see that, okay. Yeah, um, like Emily, you're a vegetarian and some people won't agree with that choice. Mm-hmm. Like personally, I can't see a life without eating meat. Yeah. But we accept that you have made this choice from your own experiences. Yeah, just how I accept your choice to eat meat. Yeah. So today, guys, we decided to discuss an artist's performance who we felt has a strong influence on many young people today. And we're going to show you a small section from this performance. Um, so if you didn't recognise that voice, can we get a drum roll? <laughs> <laughs> it was Billie Eilish. So she explores how people perceive her and her differences and the shame she faces due to her fashion choices. 
Yeah, I actually feel quite passionately about what she's discussing in this video because I'm actually very strongly against bullying and Emily, I think you know this, I yeah. speak about it a lot, yeah. but I feel that people really need to step back and check themselves before they express an opinion towards someone that, that, could, that could be harmful to their own identity. Yeah. And just because they may not look the same as you or have similar priorities, does that mean that it is wrong? Because it's not. Like, why fight against our diversity? Yeah, I agree. But also, I believe that there's a fine line between accepting difference of opinion and not tolerating people who fuel negativity and exclusion through those individual opinions. Yeah. You know, like sometimes our moral compasses stop us from tolerating opinions which fuel that negativity, which makes me wonder, is our acceptance of differences conditional? Because if you really think about it, these bullies that you are referring to are actually giving their individual opinion that have made that they have made up through their own moments and experiences. Yeah, that's so true. Therefore, you know, there are parts of our diversity that need to be filtered and not always expressed. Does yeah. that make sense? No, yeah, hundred percent I agree. But um, also, is it okay that we sit on our lounges as a family and critique what we see on TV, especially reality TV? Like mm. they're all humans that we're watching. Yeah. I know that my own family watches Married at First Sight and um, sometimes, you know, <laughs> take the piss out of yeah, what we're seeing. Does. Everyone does. Um, but to form our own opinions and use critical thinking is our ability to be human. Mm. So does that mean that we are justified in commenting on every choice made in a maths relationship? Maths is Married at First Sight for my um, my peers who don't understand. Um, does that mean that our independent thoughts about clothing choices of celebrities such as Billie Eilish is justified? I mean, I don't have an answer to that, but diverse opinions and ideas underpin our shared humanity. They add incredible and unique value. We need independent thinkers to realise mm. and recognise when things aren't right or when they're wrong, to challenge, create, innovate, add their own fingerprint. But what happens when these unique outlooks fuel negativity? Yeah, so I guess we'll ask our audience this. Diversity of opinion, where do we draw the line? All right, we'll leave you guys to ponder on that. This is Kayla. And Emily. And thanks, thanks for, for listening. So I'm Anita Galley and this is Becky Scott and we Hello. are language teachers at Siena and we want to talk about what languages bring to Siena. We want to talk about what languages mean as people who live in Melbourne and in Australia and, yeah, I think Becky was thinking more along the lines of how our students and how Siena girls bring their own diversity to our mm. community. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, when we think about cultural diversity as language teachers, it's such a, it's so intrinsically linked with everything that we do. Um, when I think about cultural diversity, there's many things I think about, but one of them is our own students before we even begin to teach them a language, what they bring with them. So one of the first things I did with my year sevens at the start of this semester was um, getting everybody to on a map show where their family was from and talk about um, their family's background. And I love the fact that every time I do an activity like that, it's different because my class is different every time in terms of the background of the students, in terms of their own experience with language, with different cultures, with learning a language. And to me, I don't know about you, Anita, but I think that's one of the things that makes teaching 
the most interesting job because every year we may be teaching similar things, but the experience is so different because we're teaching a different group of students. They're bringing always their different own combinations of, you know, who's from where. I love the exactly. map idea because you actually get to see visually where everyone's from exactly. and where their families are from because we're all Australian, but we're... How did we get to be Australian? Where's exactly. our background? So then anytime we have a conversation about uh, about our culture, those conversations are never the same. So that's one of my favourite things about teaching in general and teaching languages that I can technically teach the same lesson or teach the same concept every year, every semester, but it's not the same and it's different each time and that's because of the students and, and what they bring to that discussion, which I love Yes, we do love it. No, we love hearing where they're all from. And it's funny because all of that sounds so true when I hear it. And yet when this diversity topic first came up and we were thinking about languages, the first thing I thought of rather selfishly is what we're bringing to the community, (laughs) that we are bringing the languages because we're teaching them, (laughs) even though the students bring so much more diversity because of just the sheer number. But and that just offering languages at a Mm. school is offering diversity and the fact that in a, you know, a medium-sized school, we can still maintain three languages all mm. the way through to VCE. What language options did you have when you were at school? We had Latin as a mm-hmm. as an option in year eight, mm-hmm. but it was really a cultural study because it, it is a language, but it was an option. But I loved it because we learned about ancient Rome and to me it linked to, to learning Italian. Mm. So, of course, we did Italian at school and French um, and Chinese. So, actually, mm. the same three languages that, we have, that oh. we have at Siena, but it was a bigger school. So... I think that that we actually have quite keen language learners and what I love about Sienna Girls is how many go out and do a language outside of school. I think that shows, you know, you go to school all week and then you go to whether it's Greek school or some outside conversation Mm. classes or, you know, it takes up either Friday night or a Saturday morning and I just think that's great dedication and I can see girls do that all the way through to year 12. Yeah, and lots of students probably don't realise that girls in their classes as well as learning a language at school or sometimes instead of they're going away, as you said, out of their own time and learning languages. Yeah, there are quite a few that you wouldn't know that are going and doing it. So not only are we bringing diversity to Siena by teaching the languages that we teach and by just offering another language in a classroom, it's actually a lot of girls are choosing to do another one as well outside. And it's not huge numbers, but it's enough that makes me realise what a strong part of their culture and their identity it must Mm. be. Because when we talk about languages, we're talking about an identity that we are bringing to, to our community, to our world. And that's so important. And even the idea... I remember in a philosophy class at uni, I didn't understand a lot of that class, but what I did understand was something that really, I guess, resonated with me was that the way we understand the world is through the languages or language. Even if you only speak one, the way we understand the world and make sense of it is through the language that we have. If we Mm. don't have a word for something... Do we mm. even have a concept of it? And sometimes you learn more about your native language or your own culture through learning about others. I know that my understanding of English language is pretty much based on my learning of French. As someone who didn't, as someone whose language first language is English, and then learnt French as a second language, I've learnt so much about English through French. Absolutely. And one yeah. of my favourite conversation topics in the staff room—I don't know if it's everyone's—is <laughs> talking to the other language teachers about the differences and similarities between our languages. Keep that in mind. Keep what in mind exactly? 
I chose this topic in particular because it stuck out to me. What do we keep in our minds? Generally, it's an opinion. We keep so many opinions in our minds about different topics. And an opinion is just simply a view or judgment formed about something, which is sometimes based on fact or knowledge. To me, this topic, keep that in mind, I defined as considering every thought that is indeed kept in our minds when making an opinion on something, considering both sides of an opinion, considering all aspects and factors of an opinion, such as bias, prejudice and experience and knowledge, in order to really grasp how our opinions are formed. So really, keeping things in our mind is like the source or building block of how an opinion is constructed. You have multiple thoughts in your mind, which are then constructed into opinions. And from these opinions come actions which promote these opinions. Opinions can transform into generalizations or stereotypes and assumptions with positive or negative results. Today, I will discuss one particular opinion which has transformed society into using discrimination to represent this opinion from the burning thoughts kept in our minds. Autism spectrum disorder. When heard, that phrase can bring across many different images in people's minds. In a nutshell, autism spectrum disorder is a learning disability, affecting the ability to communicate, read and write. Currently in Australia, children are grouped on the spectrum in three groups. One being the least severe to three being the most severe. And each group is categorised by the amount of support and care they need and severity of the disability. So this is how autistic children are now being categorised by the amount of support they need and the severity of their disability. But a few years ago, they were grouped into two groups based on the qualities that made them closer to being normal. These groups were called low and high functioning. Low functioning was the group associated with those that are intelligent but find it harder to express feelings and communicate verbally. And high functioning is the group associated with high intelligence and can communicate quite well verbally. Labelling a child or categorising them into one of these groups has been a normality in society. These terms, low and high functioning, now have been embedded into society. The norms for how autism is still seen now. My 13-year-old brother has autism and is in the group three as he needs the most care and support and struggles to communicate through words. So in society, he is still labelled now as someone who is low functioning and it has been a struggle to stray away from those who, have, who label and discriminate against him, either on purpose or without meaning to. Because when someone sees my brother, they grow scared and they believe that because he can't communicate well verbally, he'll communicate in other ways, and he is seen as aggressive and violent or scary. This is the opinion I wanted to discuss. The opinion that people with autism are seen as terrible and therefore are suitable to receive discrimination. By attempting to eliminate the ways in which we discriminate purposefully or without meaning to, we can keep in mind how to move forward in order to abolish the opinion of autism being seen as something completely negative. The Discrimination Act for people with a learning disability was established in 1992, which aimed to eliminate discrimination. The Discrimination Act made it unlawful to directly discriminate against anyone with a learning disability. Yet today, discrimination is at its peak. So how does it occur? Either we mean to or we don't. Indirect discrimination is quite common. It isn't unlawful to indirect, 
indirectly discriminate against people with autism, but it is hurtful to them, especially when they are more vulnerable. Usually by accident, on the basis, the most indirect or accidental way we discriminate is we can say a rude comment. Have you ever heard someone talk to you and say, oh, that guy over there, see him, he can't talk and he has no idea what he's saying, he's autistic. Now that guy might not actually be autistic, but people just tend to throw around the word autistic as if it's an insult or joke without realising that it just downgrades the disability. According to a British survey conducted in 2009, it showed that back then, 73% of people couldn't define a learning disability when asked. And linking back to the opinion I wanted to discuss, let's keep in mind that no matter whether a child has autism or not, it is simply a common disability. Diagnosis rates in Australia for autism have increased. Now, one in 70 people are diagnosed, or 40% of all Australians. It is normal. Though it can limit a child in ways, it isn't terrible, but simply it is reality. So using the word autistic as an insult to people simply downgrades it. It makes the disability seem worse than it actually is. And most importantly, it makes a mockery of the disability. This indirect form of discrimination we can watch out for by simply using other language, not using the word autistic in any case to make a joke to someone. If we hear someone using the word in an insulting way, we can approach and explain to them the importance of not using this word in a negative way. But the huge forms of discrimination are direct, and these direct forms are against the law. Unemployment is a huge form of discrimination. Just in 2015, 34% of all people with autism in Australia were unemployed, and only 24% of all Australians with autism were employed. 24%. That's shocking. Despite the Discrimination Act established in 1992, discrimination in the workplace is still the biggest boundary. Not employing someone because they perhaps have distracting behaviours or can't verbally communicate well is discriminatory because it shouldn't be the reason they aren't employed. When given the right tools and... Let me start that again. When given the right tools and placed in a positive and calm environment, people with autism can be employed knowing that they have been given the right tools and the right assistance, rather than limiting them and taking away that opportunity, stripping them of their rights to employment, give them an opportunity to learn and try in a job. The only exceptions to not employ someone with a learning disability, as mentioned in the Discrimination Act, is if it is impossible to implement ways to help them fit into a job, or if the job is life-threatening, like working in the army force. To conclude this speech, linking back to this opinion from before, which has been kept in our minds for a while, when autism is viewed as something negative or terrible, it can cause indirect and direct forms of discrimination. Let's keep that in mind. Let's also consider that autism is a common disability, and by accepting the reality of the disability and attempting to implement ways of supporting those, With the disability, we can move away from this opinion that has been so clearly kept in our minds over the years.
Hi, I'm Anna. And I'm Emma. And, and we're, we're Keeping It Grill. Alrighty, so hi Anna, how are you going? I'm good, thanks Emma. How are you? I'm great. Uh, coronavirus has got everyone down, hasn't it? Oh, jeez. Oh, it really has, hasn't it? Uh, well, stay positive and keep, get through it and everything. Positive it'll be fine, vibes. guys. Positive it'll be vibes. fine. Don't panic. It's fine. So, Anna, we're talking about diversity. What's one thing that you think that we should talk about when we're talking about diversity? What is an event that you associate with diversity? Um, well, apart from diversity within Siena College, outside, like, in the wider society, um, I think it's really good to be diverse within, multi- like, many different cultures and many different um, just events. So I think one thing that comes to my mind in particular is what happened at the Oscars earlier this year. Yes, very, very true. Um, Yeah, definitely a lack of diversity was shown. Oh, 100%, yeah. Within all the nominee categories, especially with the African-American audience and nominees, there was a big lack thereof. And and female directors as yeah, well. Yeah, between male and female as well. It was really disappointing to see how men had many more, not opportunities, but well, then it more, comes, yeah. It comes back to the whole men having more opportunities and different races having more opportunities. It's just about everyone getting a fair enough opportunity so everyone's represented in a good way. Exactly, but how it's hard to tell how we need to, like what do we need to do to improve this? Like we can't just... That's very true. Yeah, like... We can't speak for other races Exactly, exactly. So when people say, yeah, we need to be more culturally diverse, how are we meant to implement that within society if people are just saying... Saying, yeah, well, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. We don't have any control over it. Well... I think we have to start, I don't know how we're going to start, but we've got to start changing and making the way to, like, towards a more diverse society without being making it such a big thing. I feel like it's always like, this must be this, but it should already just be be a culturally diverse society. Yeah, exactly. I and, 100% And racially agree. and... And gender and everything, it should just be a diverse society. That and I think in. you can like improve these things by even just like the really small things, like when for in education as well, having both male and female role models and having being able to grow up in society where everything is equal and mm. you don't have to worry about having to compete with the opposite gender or the opposite race or to have those inequalities within society because then if you grow up to be in certain workforces or if you grow up to be in certain Oh, like different industry, in, mm. industry, Indus- industries. industries. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I get that. It, it's just hard because I mean, we know that ev- like there's lots of areas where we are not meeting the standards of being culturally, racially, gender no. equality, and diversity. Um, as young people, I think we're trying to raise the conversation about it. Yeah, because it is an issue, and it does have to be changed because. It just It's just an inequality in the world and it just needs to be fixed so everyone else can be equal. And I think it's great to see that our age group in particular is really aware of it mm. and knows that things do need to happen for it in order to change mm. compared to, let's say, older generations who yeah. may have opposite views. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it's also just about celebrating diversity. Yes. And instead of shunning it or shaming... 
I think it should just be about celebrating all different versions of everything and like diversifying our own lives and yeah, accepting other things into our lives without just shaming other people or other religions, cultures, etc. For, for just doing what they believe and what for they sure. think is right. For sure. Now, Australia um, has definitely improved, I think, in uh, ce- celebrating and promoting different kinds of diversity. Yep. Anna, what do you think about, let's say, AFLW diversity? And tell me a bit about that. Well, AFLW, it's so great to see how it's improved over these last two years and it's great to see how many girls are getting involved and how even the wider community, um, how they feel about it. But it's also really disappointing to see some people's personal opinions getting in the way of things like the LGBT community and Moana Hope and all of those um, slurs that were yelled at her when she was on the field. It's just really disappointing to see because it shows that we haven't come as far as we thought when mm. it comes to that. 100%. Yeah. It's definitely something that... It's it's a views thing, but I think now as society is progressing, like, in lots of many different ways, things like the slurs and the connotations and all these kinds yeah. of negative outlooks need to be changed so everything, like, diversity-wise can be just be what it is instead of having to change to fit other people's values and things, especially with the LGBTQ plus community, they're still not widely accepted. No, they're not. Even though they make up, like, a good percentage of the population. Like, people need to just accept accept people. And I think it comes down again to the different generations and their different opinions on it and how Mm. they, older generations, didn't grow up with it like that and yet our age group and even younger, Mm. they all... Just, they all yeah. agree with it because, well, maybe not all, but majority do because we've grown up with it being normal, normal. in our society and people that we know and that we have family members, like, mm. it's really normal and it's really difficult to see how people in older generations as well, like, mm. don't agree with it because mm. it is it's a really important part of our society and mm. especially when it comes to diversity because what would we be if we were all the same? Exactly. Like, we all need to spread and show diversity through everything yeah and just it's okay to be diverse because that's what makes us human you know exactly and I think through the AFL as well we saw the whole Adam Goods thing and that Mm. was when it came to racial slurs yeah so that has improved I definitely 100% 100% over the last couple of years and because I've raised awareness and everything amazing to see but then now with the AFLW, we're kind of back to square one again. Exactly. And it's... It's disappointing, but hopefully things do improve. Exactly, yeah. Because we want to keep the game going for both men and women and we just want everyone to have... And I think if we both keep, like, if AFLW does continue, that's, like, one of the easiest ways for it to improve and mm. to raise awareness of the importance of diversity. Like, 100%. Yeah. All right, thanks everyone so much for listening. This Thank has you been uh, Anna and Emma for Keeping, Keeping It, it Grill. Have a great week Hope and we'll enjoy. see you next time. Thank you very much.